Focus on the market reactions to your strategy and your indicators. Let the market prove to you it wants to do something before you act. Framework for trading multiple time frames. Controlling your risk. Waiting for the fat pitches. Position sizing. All this today and more on the Futures Radio Show podcast with Managing Director of Futures Trading at Simpler Trading, Raggy Horner. Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group. They are the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit activetrader.cmegroup.com. For new show notifications, please subscribe to Futures Radio Show Podcast on iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. This show is also sponsored by Trading Technologies, RJO Futures, and FTSE Russell. The Russell 2000 is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 futures symbol, RTY, and micro E-mini Russell 2000 futures symbol, M2K. To learn more about FTSE Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. Raggy, how you doing, my friend? I am doing great. It is awesome to hear your voice. It's always great to speak with you. I know I miss seeing you in person. Exactly. You know, that's that's kind of the world we're living in right now. But I kind of feel like I've been keeping in touch with you. The content you've been putting out there has been fantastic. It's been instructional. It's been inspirational. Um, yeah, I kind of feel like I, I see you anyways. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's the one thing with COVID that I, I would say for me that I've done a little bit more of is just talking a lot more about process and things like that. We've always kind of done that on this show, but just talking more, just digging a little bit deeper and, and thinking about, I guess it's, it's almost been a time of what introspection. Oh, for sure. I think we all, we all take a look at what we've been doing in such a more intense way, because I think we're doing that with all of life and, you know, trading life, us traders, it's, it just kind of blurs into one thing. So how we're reacting to the markets, it's interesting. How I react to the markets is probably no different than how I react to this current environment. Yeah, but, exactly. you know, I, I think I was, read, I was reading something you posted, uh, gosh, I think it was today. And you were talking about reactions and don't be in a hurry and let the market prove to you what it wants to do. If I recall, that was something you posted today. And I'm thinking, that's how I'm living my life. You know, it's how I'm trading, but that's how I'm living. Yeah, let, let's talk about that to start then. You know, I, I mean, I, I think that so many people focus solely on a strategy telling them what to do. And that's what I used to think about as well is say, okay, I need to find a strategy that w- would tell me what to do, when to buy, when to sell. And as I started to learn more about trading, more about myself, more about strategies. You know, I'm a discretionary day trader who who wanted to find a strategy, but I always wanted to have some discretion. I realized that the strategy itself really didn't matter to me. I just had to learn how to execute it the best that I could, and I wanted to look at the reactions. It was not about the, it, it telling me in black and white, buy here or sell here. It's just about operating in the gray, you know, and watching the reactions. Yeah, it's interesting. When you talk about in the gray, the first thing that pops into my mind as doing a lot of what you're doing right now, that shorter term day trading and and using a process, I think a lot of us, 
out there, we know discretionary means there's a process. I think a lot of folks might think that just means we're sort of freestyling it. But no, there's absolutely a process for me. That gray area, that process has been, how do I control risk in this environment of just competing headlines and good news and bad news? And for me, that gray area is just, how can I control risk? We're taking risk. That's our job as traders. But how can I control that? So you said that you're doing more of the day trading. I mean, I've talked with you so many times over the years on this show and in, and, uh, and in private, and I know that you are someone who holds positions a little bit longer. I don't know that you're, when I've talked to you in the past, that you were really doing the really super short-term uh, day trading as much. I know you've done it, but are you doing more of that now in this environment? I really am. And And what's really neat about our ability as traders to slice up psychology. You know, you're right. Normally, if I can find a trend and I think it's going to last hours, days, or if not weeks, I want to hang on. You know, that's just letting the market do the the heavy lifting for me. But that also means I expect there to be sort of an organized story around the trade, an organized narrative that data just continues to feed it. There's a lot of fuel in that tank. And as soon as February, March, April rolled around, you know, I had to question that because we're always dealing with just a whole new narrative, a whole new set of circumstances. So I, I, I did what I think any trader who can be fluid with time frames did. I said, well, just shorten this thing down to a one minute. You know, let me shorten this down to where I'm really making most of my decisions the first two hours, the cash open. And I want to be as flat as possible going into the close and just start the next day with fresh eyes and a flat book and just rebuild based on whatever I've got that day. So same strategies in a lot of ways, just shortening the time frame. You already mentioned process and I totally agree with you that, you know, even though we say that we're discretionary, I say that I'm discretionary and I do absolutely have a process and I'm curious for you, you say that you're using the same strategy that you were using on well, not longer term, but you were, what would you, what would you classify yourself coming into COVID more of like a medium term swing trader? Yeah, it's probably the best way to sort of generically describe what I'm doing. If I can be in a market for a few days, maybe a few weeks, I'm pretty happy if I can get that kind of organization, but I don't stay rigid to, well, if it's a swing trade, it's got to be three to five days. Or if I'm, you know, if it's a core position, it's got to be, you know, a few months. I'm not rigid to that. I'm just looking to get in at a certain level, take acceptable risk. And if that target comes in one hour or one week, I'll still take it. So I I still let price be the determining factor and not time horizon. But by shortening the time frame, we also shorten time horizon. We also shorten exposure to the market, which is, you know, of course, part of risk. So the same strategies, meaning if I can find that structure, that organization on a one minute chart, I'll ride that out for maybe the session, if possible, or maybe just to the midday doldrums, but it won't be past the close. Yeah, exactly. And you said it the same way that I would say it about myself, price gets me in and price gets me out. And when markets are slower, like right now, I use a 60 minute chart and that's what I'm using for my entries and my exits when, uh, you know, because for me, I want to fit within the day time frame, but I don't want to be too short term. And when it was busier, maybe a month or two ago, I was using a thousand tick or a five minute because the 60 minutes were so wide that my targets weren't getting hit. 
But once again, like you said, same process, just change the time frame based upon the environment. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is that they have a process or something that they look at on the longer term and they don't use that same process for the shorter term. But talk to us a little bit about your process from what you were doing prior to coming into COVID and then how you adjusted it, the, the, the actual process of adjusting it to the, the shorter timeframes to fit what you were trying to achieve when the markets got a little busier. Sure. No, I love that. So the framework of that and it kind of going back to life often dictates how we trade. It's not ideal, but a lot of times whatever's going around in life, what we need to tend to apart from the charts will dictate what I can do. So, you know, clearly February, March became hugely uncertain. And the less certain that I am, the shorter my time frames. the less I think that I can project levels, support, resistance, tendencies out into the future. So my, my natural instinct is in times of uncertainty, let's just keep things a little closer to the best. Let's go to a strategy where I can shorten the time frame and be out by the end of the day. Now, conversely, if I go back to say October, November, I was, I was happy finding a daily time frame, waiting for a pullback and writing that out for days, if not a week, maybe 10 days. And that's really what the big change became. And, and maybe for a lot of traders getting caught up on the time frames, maybe it's really a conversation about time horizon, because the less I feel I can project out into the future and think that I'm pretty certain that we'll either see higher highs and higher lows five, six days from now, or whatever the case may be of the trend, the less certain I feel about that, the shorter the time frame has to become. So I think the big adjustment was that uncertainty about time horizon. And so if that's if that's uncertain, I think the best way to manage risk then in times of uncertainty is just shorten that time frame down. So that's it. That's the big adjustment. And, and why? And why? Yeah. And like I said, I think that a mistake that a lot of traders will make is that they'll do their longer term homework and then they'll go to a shorter term time frame and use, I don't want to say a different strategy, but maybe different indicators and the process isn't exactly the same. <laughs> You know, they're not right. comparing apples to apples. So this way, when they shrink it down, they might be looking at a daily chart going, oh, look, we're above the 200-day moving average. We're above the 50-day moving average. And then they go down and they look at their shorter-term charts, and they don't even have moving averages up. But they're using that, and, and then they're not carrying that same thought process over to the shorter term, and they don't just work together. Explain to everybody how you change your time frame, change that horizon, and how you do it apples to apples. Yeah, I love that. So to your point, I think that for me, the big change in my trading a couple of decades back was just if if something is universal, I think that my strategy should work on crude oil as well as they work on bonds or the S&P or Apple. So definitely universal and then robust, simply, you know, system speak for it works well. So everything kind of comes down to those two things. Is it universal and is it robust? And then that for me extends to if I'm looking at market trend analysis, if a market's in an uptrend, distribution, accumulation, gosh, what does it matter if it's a weekly analysis in terms of what that is using the same indicators versus a one minute? I'm going to bring those same indicators right down to a one minute because at the end of the day, you know, you and I are trading human emotion. And so I don't believe the indicator or the tool, the barometer really changes. I'm going to look at human emotion with the same set of tools in a weekly. I just know that that 
time frame and time horizons much larger. And if I'm going to bring those same tools down to a one minute, same idea, same emotions, just a little twitchier, you know, the time yes. frames, the time horizons are just shorter, but it's the same human emotions, just a different slice of psychology. See, that's how I think people get better at execution, because when you look at something on your longer term time framing, you watch how it reacts to those indicators and you take it down to the shorter term. For me, at least, what I like to do is see the same responses that are reflecting the longer term. And then to me, now I have the support from the bigger picture traders out there and my shorter term stuff on the time frame that I'm trading in. If it looks just like the longer term, then I have to me, confirmation. Now I'm staying within my bigger picture bias and my shorter term is just helping me manage the risk. It's building blocks. I think you and I, if we take a look at a 60 minute chart, you know, it's, it's 61 minute candles. So if I were to explode that 60 minute chart wide open and look at what went on inside that large candle, there's just so much action inside of it. And yet you're right to step back and look at the culmination of that one hour psychology. There is an advantage to you know, changing that viewpoint, that point of view. So if I'm looking at right now, even when I'm one minute time frame trading, the daily and the 60 are a part of what I'll spend a few moments in the morning looking at because I want directional bias. I want to know when I get up in the morning on my one minute chart, I'm either looking exclusively at longs or exclusively at shorts. I don't want to be flip-flopping. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I like knowing that I'm just heading north on 95 and that's that. So I'll use the 60 minute and the daily to determine that directional bias. And then that one minute becomes where I execute this idea of, okay, I want to be long today. Great. Where do I see that opportunity? The first two hours of the day. I'm in the same exact way because when I look at everything that's going on in my dailies and I do this in my weekly videos on develop your edge where I go and I say, okay, look at, you know, Russell, I'll talk about that because I'm long the Russell right now. But I look at the <laughs> I looked at the Russell, the way it was trading on the daily. I said, OK, this is a market I don't want to be short right now. I'm seeing things that are happening. So then the daily is not something I was going to be executing on. So I went to my 60 minute and I started to look for confirmations that were able to get me in on that one direction. So now my longer term homework carried over to the chart that I'm going to trade on. And I was hyper-focused on that one direction because I wasn't going to be looking for shorts. Not that I didn't think it could trade both ways, but I wanted to get with the bigger picture because I felt that's where I was going to get support from my bigger picture traders. For me, it's about going with what my longer-term analysis is telling me and having my shorter-term analysis confirm it on my time frame. To me, that's going with the trend. Exactly. There, there is a flow, and you're so right. There is a dominant flow to psychology, not that to your point, we can't have a pullback day or there can't be wider volatility. But at the end of the day, there is just there is a tendency and we can see those tendencies on a daily and a 60. I think we both use sort of the same anchor charts there. And if I can flow with that tendency, I think my margin for error is just you know, better. It's a more lenient side of the market that if I'm stuck in a position right now, I'd rather be stuck long for the most part at the bottom of the range if I can confirm that bottom of the range with some size, with some volume, you know. So I kind of look at it that way. If I had to be stuck on one side of the market, which way would it be? And if I keep coming back to for now, and it has been since the beginning of June, yeah, I'd rather be stuck long, even on a one minute. I, I know that's my directional bias, and it just can be that simple. Hey, if you're stuck in a position, which way do you want to be stuck? And, and that's sort of the question I ask every morning. 
Yeah, it just goes back to when people say manage your risk. Well, for me as a trader, obviously it's not just about okay, picking the right stop or, you know, picking or only risking the amount that you can afford to risk. Of course those things are important. It's about getting into a position that has the confirmation, the multiple confirmations, and going back to where you said, where would I rather be stuck? It's like, let them prove me wrong here. To me, I'm a better risk manager by going with multiple time frames confirming something versus me going against what the bigger picture time frame has because now I don't have that support, that confirmation. So now I, in my mind, am not doing as good of a job as I can managing my risk. It's so, and I think I think you and I are definitely on the same page. The one thing that I typically add when I'm showing traders what I do is I won't keep looking back at that daily in 60 throughout the day. So I actually want to look at that daily in 60 minutes before 9:30, before the cash open, make my determination, yeah. and then I don't want to look at it again because I think the the awesome thing about multiple time frame confirmation is, as you said, bigger picture, bigger flow. Is the tide going in, tide going out? But then once the bell rings. I've got to stay on my sort of operational charts, those those one minute, because otherwise it's too easy to, well, that one minute doesn't look good. Oh, it's the five minutes. Say, what's the 15 minutes? And then we start to wander across time frames where clearly the setup can be very different. Ask can the risk. And and so for me, absolutely, I want to take a look at those. But at 930, it's just about that one minute until 1130 a.m. Eastern. Yeah, you make a great point because that's the other mistake that I've made and I know a lot of newer traders will make is that they'll do that bigger picture homework and then they'll come into the day and then instead of sticking on a time frame that they are choosing to trade, they'll start having their drift, time frame drift maybe like we call strategy drift. They'll look to find mm -hmm. where maybe there's an opportunity versus just sticking to that time frame that they are on and waiting for that trade. You know, you, you can't be searching on multiple time frames to me once the day begins. You have to stick to the time frame that you're going to be executing on. And if that trade comes, it does. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. You said the magical words right there, waiting for that trade. And I love the analogy of day traders being a, a you know, elite hitter at the plate waiting for the pitch. And you bring up a great point. I think when the time frames get shortened, this inclination to want to put on more trades, to be more active, to to get you know dangerously twitchy, uh, you know to get that next next hit, you know almost like almost like an adrenaline junkie. It's so tempting because there's constant movement on those shorter term time frames. So for me, uh, waiting for that exact pitch, waiting for that exact trade, I think there's oftentimes a misnomer that day traders are super active and some of them are, and that's totally fine. But I'm probably alarmingly inactive because at e for, for each day, and I'll consider each day sort of an at bat, I'm not going to get that many pitches that are the kind that I really want to knock out of the park or, you know, at least try to get on base. So I'm super inactive because I'm I'm waiting and gosh, you couldn't have said a, a truer words to you know folks listening, which is oh my gosh, just wait. Just because the one minute charts are you know moving, moving, moving doesn't mean every candle is a new opportunity. Traders, we're gonna pause for 30 seconds and we'll be right back. A question I constantly get is what platform do I use to trade futures? Well, I use TT. They are the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Learn more at tryttnow.com.
RJO is a long-standing brokerage firm with personal broker relationships to help you learn and trade futures. To learn more, please visit rjofutures.com. Well, this is where when people, maybe on social media, will say, well, you just have to be patient. And, and to me, I've always said it's important to be patient, but what's even more important is to know what you're looking for. And then when mm-hmm. that trade comes to you, then I am, I don't want to say impatient, but I am now actively, aggressively going after that trade because now it's given me what I wanted. But in order to be patient, that all comes from you knowing what you're doing coming into the day, sticking on that time frame, and sitting there waiting. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, to kind of beat that analogy into the ground one more time, you see what you, you know, I can just imagine you're at the plate, you see your opportunity, but when when a big league elite batter it knows that that's their pitch and they want to crush it everything goes into motion it's an explosion you know the confidence the technique everything just all at once so to your point it's a lot of waiting it's a lot of waiting but then when you see what you want yeah i mean it's it's an explosion of activity so if you hesitate it's a strike it's if you hesitate you miss it and for me because i don't get that many pitches that I think have the right risk reward and have the right level of volume and price. I, I can't sit around hesitating. And so you're so right. It's patience is an incomplete set of advice. It's, it's patience, but then maybe impatience, maybe aggression, as you yeah. said, as soon as you see what you want. Yes. Yes. It's about yeah, conserving that energy and the, not only just mental energy, but your, your capital to when it's there then you do it. I mean, the mistake I used to make, and I'm curious what you think about this, and this is something that I did for so long, and I felt like it was, boy, I felt like I was doing the right thing. And it was essentially like, let's just say that I could risk 500 bucks a day, I could risk 2,500 bucks a week and $10,000 a month, just to make it very simple, right? And this is mm-hmm. kind of the mindset I had for the beginning part of my career. And I would come in every day, and I would make sure that I risked that $500, right? Uh, no matter mm-hmm. what the situation was. And then what I started to learn was that, okay, if I could risk 2,500 in a week, if I could risk $10,000 in a month, and it came down to $500 a day, why am I solely focused on that $500 a day? What I started to do is allocate. So I would say, okay, look at Anthony, you didn't use your risk today. Now tomorrow, Maybe you don't use your risk again. This is how much risk you have for the week. And then all of a sudden, I'd have a day where everything was finally coming to me. I would then take my risk per trade up a little bit, but still within stay within my risk per week because now I was getting what I wanted. Because what would happen was is that I would finally get the days that I wanted and I would only have 500 bucks of risk and maybe the last two days I would lose my 500 bucks. And now all of a sudden I'm only making six, seven, eight hundred, but then I'd be down a thousand the prior two days plus fees and whatever. And I was like, wow, I feel like I'm doing the right thing, but I'm never gaining ground. Do you allocate every single trade the same way? I mean, talk to us about just what I said and, and maybe how you allocate your risk versus days where there's nothing going on or little going on to all, all of a sudden everything is set up for you. I love the setup that you're talking about, which is I was teaching my husband at a day trade last October and 
I told him, and not not that dissimilar in terms of numbers that you're talking. I told him today, I want you to try to go lose $500. And he said, what do you mean? I said, this is what you have to risk. Now go try to lose it. And I tried to take the fear of loss away from him because people always think they're okay. Oh, it's just a video game until the numbers are real. And we know, you know, the emotion's different. That's, you know, the physiology is different. So I said, you know, just try to lose 500 bucks today. That's your job. You know, put it at risk and just nullify as much as I can the fear element of, of losing money. The flip side of that is when do we feel like it's really just a softball underhand pitch that's like, oh, come on, I really want to crush this thing. Um, that's where I start looking at going back to what we talked about, pre-market, directional bias. What is the daily telling us? What is the 60 telling us? So I'll look at all the different things that for me, experience tells me increases the probability that the direction that I want to trade the market in is right. So let's say I'm looking at volume profile and I'm above certain levels uh, from the previous session, or let's say I've got a gap that day and there's certain high probability setups that I feel, again, time has told me, you know, six, seven times out of 10, I'm going to be on the right side of the market. If I can see more reasons that probability and experience has taught me that I'm going to be on the right side of that trade versus say one or two reasons. In other words, I have lots of whys. I have a lot of things that increase my confidence. To your point, I'll be willing to risk more because it's 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 just a better situation. Not every morning it's going to look the same for me. Not every 9:30 to 10 o'clock clearing range is going to be of equal quality and range and possibility. When those possibilities look good, I'm willing to risk more because just experience has told me it's worth it. Yeah, because I've said many times that I feel that we make money as, in moments as traders because when I look back at my career, it, it's like when I was doing that up or down 500 bucks every day, at the end of every month, I'd always be up a little, down a little, or a scratch. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to ever reach the $10,000 a month, right? Because I'm never going to be $500 up every single day. And I, and I really learned that because I started to believe that not every trade was the same, so why should I trade every trade the same, that I rewarded myself for being patient by not taking the bad ones. I call them bad ones. They might have worked out. But that's a different story. But the ones <laughs> that I felt were the ones I shouldn't be trading to the point where all of a sudden these days where everything was lined up, then I would say, you know what? You were waiting for this take on a little bit more risk here because this is what you were waiting for. You know, I think for me, the way I solved that for myself and then when I solved it with my husband when he was learning is I didn't have one level at which everything went in. I had a zone. There was an aggro part of that, aggressive part of that zone. There was a moderate part of that zone. There was a conservative. And, and they're all dictated on their distance from the stop loss from which from the point at which I know the trade is no longer valid. So I've got, I've got my point of validity stop. And then really anything above that is fair game. You know, as long as I'm trading above the validity of the trade, you know, anything above that's fair game, but it's not all equal risk. So once I entered my zone, now I'm getting to work. I'll have a, I'll start scaling into my trades with a few lots and then a little bit more and a little bit more. So I'm almost like a triangle, like a pyramid in that zone building my trade. So I know the largest part of my position, if I get there, is the one that's closest to my stop. Um, and, and then that's how I, I defeated this whole A, not being positioned large enough, and, and B, the issue of 
being positioned too large at the riskiest, say, zone of the larger entry area or, or level, however people want to look at that. So I always re- recommend, and I do this myself, is have at least a high-low zone of risk or have an agro-moderate conservative. And, and the deeper w- pullback that I get that I like to enter at, if I'm right down there in that conservative zone and I'm right up against my stop, that's going to be a pretty large entry. Just because I know if I'm wrong, eh, you know, it's it's not going to hurt as bad as being wrong from the aggro. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's something that a lot of people don't really think too much about, especially when they're newer to this business, is that you could actually risk less sometimes by trading bigger because you're closer to the risk area. A, a lot of people get fixated on the contract size itself. So mm-hmm. they don't get they don't recognize that you could actually have a bigger position on and be risking less than being consistent with the same contract size that you get in at like you said maybe at the top of the zone, right? So if everybody entered full position, this is why I use ranges of execution as well is because my contract size is always fluctuating based upon what the market's going to give me, but my risk itself is really not fluctuating too much. The times that my risk will fluctuate is when I'm getting in a little bit heavier because I felt that this is a moment that I want to take advantage of, and I know that risk going into it, but on, let's just call it normal times, exactly what you said. If you have that range of execution, that really does determine your contract size, not you determining your contract size going into the position. You know, I, I love what you're saying because I think it actually starts to describe better what a discretionary trader does. And again, taking away that discretionary traders are just freestyling it, they're long, short, long, short. I think that's this incorrect perception out there. We're process driven, but we also realize that not every trade, not every pitch is, is going to be the same. So, you know, for me, uh, and I agree 100% with what you just said. For me, let's say the morning drove down to a psychological level where I can see this volume built up. You know, maybe I'm at a value area low or, or point of control. Uh, then in addition to that, I noticed that we're pushing the lower end of the historical volatility for that hour. These are all things that I, I measure from hour to hour in the markets that I trade. So all of a sudden, I've got a volatility base reason, an exhaustive low. I've got a volume support. Okay, now I've got another level where I think there's some size that could hold the support level. I might have a you know, major psychological level, a double zero, a triple zero level, and I'm in the right time of day. And now I'm thinking to myself, those are three really great things. And, oh, yes, by the way, my stop is just below a breach of those factors. Terrific. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in with big size, absolutely. And, and that's the discretion that we talk about. The discretion to say not all three levels, agro, moderate, conservative, deserve the same allocation of capital because, yes, their distance from the uh, stop is different, but then also the quality sometimes can be – and not that one's low probability – or high probability, it's really how much risk am I willing to take? And and when I get down to these conservative levels where there's a lot of things going for the trade, yeah, I feel a whole lot more confident with size because it's earned it. It's earned that size. Mark, I proved it to you. Now, mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about when you changed your time frame and you went down a little bit more to the day trading strategy. How was your performance compared to when you were doing it before? Because this is one thing that for me, I, I really, I struggled with this when I would really go from 
I was super short term and then I would go a little bit longer term, which would be basically like intraday swing trading. And now I'm trying to get more into swing trading. And the one thing that I struggled with was having the patience for the performance to come over time. You know, how was I ultimately doing? Because it's, it, when you go from a time frame change, what I felt was psychologically different and, and difficult was it's different on how you're going to be judging your performance. Because for me, it was taking longer to get to my numbers versus like being the very short term day trader that I was. I was like, every day was based upon. You know, how did you do, right? And then now that I've been getting into a little bit longer term positioning, what's happening is, okay, letting those trades work out. And it's just like, it's just a totally different psychology, right? Even though it's the same strategy and process, it's hard to kind of just let things happen for what they are. How was it for you going from someone who was watching uh, your your P&L on, on a more of a medium term time frame to getting in to more of that uh, day trading type strategy. I think what you describe, I definitely suffered early on, and I, I for me the fix was uh, compartmentalizing. Uh, when I'm a day trader, I'm a day trader, and and that's those first two hours, and I'm really not thinking that much about the trend following swing trades that I'm still doing. So I guess the first answer is, how are we allocating our day? How are we allocating our attention? Not just capital, but attention. So the shift for me, that time frame shift we discussed, the time horizon uh, shift that I discussed, that, that was me allocating less time to daily time frames, less time to pull back trend following buys, and, and more time, more attention to the first two hours of the day. So that was the first thing. Most of my focus, most of my attention went there. And I tried not to think about the daily. In fact, as I mentioned, I, the 60 in the, in the daily time frames just get minimized. I will focus on the four to six one-minute charts that I'll trade that morning. Now, once that 11.30 time comes around, for me, the morning session's done. We know that volume drops. We know volatility drops. We know Europe's leaving the, you know, kind of leaving the party. And, and, and that, for me, is when I want to wind down going into the midday doldrums. But that ends one style that ends one part of my trading approach. Now, again, I'll recompartmentalize again. Now it's like, all right, midday, I'm not going to do much, but I can start to look at some of those daily time frames again, and I've minimized the one-minute chart. I'm done with that. I have I have closed the book on those one-minute trades unless I've got an initial balance breach and some VWAPs. But then what I've done is I've put in a trailing stop, and I bracketed my trades so I know that at some point or other, I've either hit my second – profit target and I'm flat. I hit my trailing stop and I'm flat or I'll have some sort of time-based exit where if for whatever reason neither of those levels were hit by 350, you know that fed candle as we say, I'm done. So I'll have this time-based exit and and I'll and I'll bracket in my trade. So I don't really have to think about my 1 minute trading life anymore. I can put that on a shelf and I can start focusing on the dailies and and any of the pullbacks that I might want to take advantage of and then I'll go put limit orders in or alerts for those. Um, so for me, the way that I fixed that was just remembering that I can do all these different things. Just don't try to do them all at once. Don't try to be that trend following yep. swing trader while I'm looking at a one minute day trade. I just, that's like multi, you know, tasking from hell and I'll do none of it well. So I just compartmentalize. 
It's because you're so so strong with your preparation, and it's really for me. I got to tell you, it was you know just thinking back in our entire conversation today. When you go from from trading on a, a on one time frame to the next, uh, for for me, it is sticking to the process is extremely important. But it, I felt it was almost learning a different type of psychology because in watching the market go to where I was used to taking off a position that I would be doing on the intraday and letting that go to a longer time frame. You're sitting there going, okay, I, I had to teach myself to to be able to say, look, you prepared for this and this time frame. Don't mix them. Just like you said, you can't combine the two. And 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 this is something that you just have to commit to. You have to commit to saying, if I'm going to be doing this on this time frame, my preparation tells me to do this, and you, exactly the way you explained it, that's what I stick to. And then when you're switching, it, it is, even for experienced traders like us, it is something that takes time. 100%. And I think that, you know, we've talked about time frame and time horizon, you know, as we, as we discussed this, this transition. And I think a lot of traders, clearly, all we need to do is click a few buttons and any of our charts will turn from, you know, a 60 to a five or a daily to a one, whatever that is. Changing time frames are easy. I think what's for a lot of traders, what they don't also shift is, is time horizon, expectation. And if I've moved away from one minute chart where I'm cool with being in the trade for maybe 90 minutes to maybe for the session, which doesn't happen often, but I know that's my time horizon, maybe, you know, sometime between 9.30 to 11.30 noon, or maybe even going to 3.50 p.m. Eastern. That's my time horizon, and I've, I've, I've calibrated to it. But when I go to a longer-term time frame, if I'm still keeping that far twitchier time horizon, that follow-through expectation to a daily, to a longer-term time frame, I'm screwed. So with the time frame adjustment has to come that time horizon adjustment to, all right, Rob, now you've committed not to the session, but to the week, maybe to the remainder of the month, you know, maybe for the next few days or few weeks. So that, that adjustment, I think, is not one that's difficult. It's just that we're just not always aware that it's something we need to do because we're just sort of on that microwave brownie day trading sort of mindset, which is great and it serves us well there. But all of a sudden now we have to you know, think a little bit more about leaving a trade alone and letting it do its thing, which for, for us, if we're still wearing our day trading hat, if we aren't compartmentalizing, we're carrying that mindset over, can't do it. Yeah, can't do it. It's just going to start to – it's going to cross wires that never meant it meant to be <laughs> meant to be crossed. Exactly. That's why you, know, you and I talk about this a lot, and, it's, and trading is not just about strategy it is so much about the trading psychology side of things, the mindset. So uh, it's always fun catching up with you, Raggy. I know you have something coming up this Saturday. Talk to us a little bit about that. Oh, yeah, the timing is perfect because one of the things that you know we've talked about is just shortening the time horizon. And yeah, this uh, this uh, the 29th, this Saturday, I'm doing a day trading class. And, and this is day trading the futures contracts, ES, NQ, YM, gold, bonds, crude, things like that, and also day trading the options, you know, stepping in maybe at some of those riskier levels where I may not want to step in with the minis and, and maybe I don't even want to step in with the micros, but I'll go buy calls on the QQQ or I'll go buy calls on the NQ at a level that I want to have, as you mentioned, some skin in the game. So I'm doing that this Saturday where I'm going to walk everyone through my day trading process that I've been pretty much 
focused on solely just between the hours of 9.30 and 11.30. You know, I don't want traders thinking they need to day trade all day. In fact, I think that's counterintuitive. I think that's counterproductive. Um, I know it's counterintuitive to say trade less. Yeah, trade less, but also focus on the best two hours of the day. And so between 9.30 and 11.30, that's that hat that I'm wearing. And, and that's what I'll be talking about this Saturday. Cool. Where could people find a link to that? I'll actually put a link in the post. Oh, cool. Um, you know, they can they can find that over at simplertrading.com forward slash gains, cool. G-A-I-N-S. So, yeah, we're doing that class. And I'm stoked because the one thing that a lot of folks forget about day trading is, it. you know, you and I know this, but day trading was the first kind of trading where Wall Street was literally a field next to a wall. Everyone went home flat. And at the end of the day, that's all day trading is. We just know our eject button is going to take us to a certain point of the day and then boom, we're done. And and to me, it's it's about risk control. It's not about trading a lot. It's not about overactivity. That's kind of what mainstream media wants to paint day traders as. But I think I think we're actually a prudent bunch. We just want to get in, want to get out, and start with a fresh set of eyes the next day. Where can people find you on Twitter, Raggy? At, at almost every social media. Just my first name, last name, Raggy Horner. Um, Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, it's all just Raggy Horner, my first and last name. Everybody highly recommend checking out Raggy. She's a great friend of mine and, and a great trader, and it's just always so much fun catching up with you. Glad everything's going well for you, and I look forward to that class this weekend. Thanks so much. Great to catch up with you, my friend. It's been way too long. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can listen to all of our episodes on FuturesRadioShow.com, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher.